The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast with your host, metaphysician, Reiki master, and hypnotherapist, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week, we will discover teachings, tips, and tools to radiate your best life ever with practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Hello and welcome back to the Radiate Wellness Podcast, where today we radiate one of my favorite topics, radiating reincarnation with Dr. Dave Bettenhausen and uh, Carla Bogni-Kidd, who are the authors of The Gift of Past Lives with Mother Isabella, God, and Elizabeth, and Hell No, Reincarnation with Mother Isabella, God, and Elizabeth, and The Manual. Did I get all of that right? Yes, you did. Yay. Wonderful. Well, I had it right in front of me here. So that helped. <laughs> so you all are Midwesterners too. You're in Ohio. Yes. Yes. Right. You're smack dab in the middle of the country. So but your background is not necessarily in reincarnation or regression therapy, is it? No. No. Uh, oh. I'm, I'm a physician. <laughs> <laughs> Retired, so now the vice president of medical affairs. <laughs> are you really? At a hospital, yeah. right? Correct. Oh my gosh. And Carla, you were the office manager. Yes, but I'm now retired and I'm spending a lot of time chasing around puppies and doing yoga. (laughs) Perfect. Not planting flowers. That's usually what people do when they retire. No. If we can can help it. No. Minimal yard work. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It is so exciting to me to have people who are so well-versed in past lives in the medical field. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Okay, so I think the first question would be, how did you get into regression therapy? Well, in 2014, the government had implemented electronic medical records. And of course, you know, we weren't in our 20s or 30s. We were used to charts and paper mm-hmm. and pen. And although we, yes, yeah. we were computerized, but all of a sudden, everything had to go on the computer. It was really stressful. So yeah. Dave, who I like to say is a cross between Yogi Bear and Fred Flintstone, was not. He was cranky unapproachable because there were so many T's to cross and I's to dot just to please the government. He was spending less time actually talking and enjoying the patients. He had his head in a computer trying to do everything he was supposed to. And we were very good friends since 1998. Couldn't talk to him. He was just a grouch. There's no other word for it. He was crabby, crabby grouch. So and, and I had a few other personal life issues that were going yeah. on. I was going through a divorce mm-hmm. issues and lots of things. So fun, you know, fun, fun life. But I went one day and I had read in AARP magazine, <laughs> the benefits of meditation. So I said to Dave, okay, something's got to change here. You either have to see a counselor or what do you think about trying meditation? And of course, he didn't want to see a counselor. You know, what man would ever admit there's anything wrong? Sorry. (laughs) Doctors are perfect at all times. Yes. That's one of those rules. But he decided (laughs) that he would indeed try meditation. So we thought as an office in the small medical office, I was the office manager, that we would all get together a half an hour before the patients began and we would meditate. So he agreed. 
first day came and we were all there. We played nice calming music. We had a candle lit. We were in the break room, dimmed the lights. And it was real difficult for any of us to turn off our brains, but we did it. The second day, we all talked about, we were seeing colors. We all saw different colors. And the third day, the girl said, eh, we don't want to come in a half an hour earlier. Why don't we just do it home? So Dave and I, knowing all the benefits of meditation, decided to continue. And so first thing I'll tell you is, as soon as I started meditation, those first two 30-minute things, because I was still getting to work at six in the morning, signing onto the computer, everybody carries one of these stupid cell phones, every other electronic device in the world is bombarding us every day. Just turning off everything for 30 minutes before the patients came in made my life better immediately. Sure. And I'm going to just tell you real quick, there's so many benefits to meditation, more than I understand now, even more as I looked back and we studied it and tried to figure out what was all happening. First of all, those regular health benefits are it lowers blood pressure naturally. It lowers blood sugar naturally. It increases dopamine and serotonin, which are really drugs that we give people to help fight depression. Mm -hmm. It decreases anxiety. It actually makes people more productive employees. They work harder. There's actually Fortune 500 companies that have a regular meditation area that their employees and the CEOs, I would assume, all get together and they meditate regularly. And for me, I got to tell you, one of the greatest things that happened, the stress and everything in life and doing the doctor good world, and I had put on significant weight. And the first year I meditated because it also drops cortisol, the stress hormone. First year that I meditated, I lost 102 pounds. Wow. Wow. You're half the man you used to be. <laughs> Correct. So this is much better. Six, actually. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, but I, four of it I couldn't keep off. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So it's seven or eight years later, and I've kept 100 plus pounds off. So it has been wonderful. Now on day three, I'm sitting there, we're meditating, I'm relaxing, life is better, and I'm really not thinking of anything. And suddenly this woman spoke to me. I thought I lost my mind to start with, but she was this jovial woman. She reminded me of Carla. She kept trying to show me a shoe. I was like, what is this? So after the meditation, we're, patients are coming in, we jump up, we're running down the hall, trying to get everything ready to go. And I walked into Carla's office. I said, Carly, you'll think I'm absolutely lost my mind, but I was talking to your mother. Oh my gosh. My first thought was, I was meditating too. Why is she talking to you? <laughs> so <laughs> okay, she, fair question. Yeah. <laughs> she had passed away 18 years before. Dave never met her. Yeah, I came right after. Her mother had passed away. But Carla brought up shoes because... I Googled ballroom dancing shoes because when he said she showed me a shoe, I immediately had a thought of my mother and my father were ballroom dancers. So I went over and I Googled ballroom dancing shoes and maybe 60 or 70 pair popped up. And I said to Dave, show me the shoe. And he pointed to the exact shoe my mother wore her whole life. Mm -hmm. It was a short pump, open-toed sandal. Back in those days, there was satin and you just keep re-dyeing them to go with your different outfits. And she wore the same kind. She wore it for church or for dress up or for ballroom dancing. So for him to get that, and then my sister also worked in the office at the time, and she came up with her wallet and she took out a picture of my mother and she showed it to Dave and she said, is this who you were talking to? And he got real emotional. And we said, why are you so emotional? He said, that's who I was talking to. And it was very spiritual. Wow. That's amazing. Let alone did we think that we had, that I had some sort of strange experience. I didn't, things that my Catholic upbringing would not have said was normal. Okay. So we continued to meditate. They wanted to meditate at lunchtime to see if they could talk to their mother again. (laughs) You know, I'm like trying to do different things. And then another day happened and another woman spoke to me. And this woman told me her name was Isabella and that she had been with me for over 6,000 years. Oh my goodness. So again, I'm like, okay, I don't know. I don't know what this means, but I'm feeling very spiritual about all of it. And, And so as I'm listening to her, she says, I've been with you through all of your lives. I'm like, Okay. I'm Catholic. I die. I go to heaven or hell. This is it. I I don't know what you guys are talking about. What do you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So we kept meditating every day. Carla's so curious. She would ask questions. We'd come in every day with a list of questions. And Isabella would answer these questions. And we'd start talking. And then there came a day where we had this. 
I had a memory again, or a memory for really the first time. And this memory was actually from a time in this life. And it was from 1962 when I was three years old. And so I remember getting in a blue sedan in Nebraska where I was born, not far from you, and driving all the way across the country with my parents to Boston. And when we got to Boston, we moved into married student housing, but the memory went very quickly to the first time I saw the ocean and went to the beach. Mm. And I was suddenly on this beach, running on the sand. I could see Ferris wheels, roller coasters, souvenir shop along the edge of the beach. And I'm running and I'm screaming and yelling. And this little girl knocks me down. She says, be quiet. You're bothering my family. She actually sat on my chest, kissed me on the forehead. Then she jumped up, put both hands on her hips. And she was looking at me in this little two-piece blue ruffled bathing suit. And I heard, Carla, this is not how little ladies act. And I'm telling these guys, this is what I just experienced. He's telling my sister and I this story. And first of all, we both dumbfoundedly said, when were you in Boston? And he said, well, my father went there to get his master's in education on the GI Bill one summer. And we said, you never brought it up all these years. You never mentioned it until this moment. Well, I remembered that day. It was etched in my mind because the youngest of five girls, good Catholic family. My parents were always separating and getting back together. And that particular day, my father, they were together, had rented two cabs and taken us all to Revere Beach, which is not just sand and water. It has an amusement park with it. So as he talked, we knew exactly what beach he was referring to. And I remembered that day like yesterday, because when we got there, everybody had a bathing suit except me. I always inherited one of my sister's. But for whatever reason, I didn't have one. We went across the street. My parents bought me my first brand new two-piece blue ruffled bathing suit. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're, Carla, you're showing up in yes. Dave's, like when Dave was three? Yes. yes. I'm four what and he's three. Hell, wow. Yeah. We had met 35 years before we met when I bought the practice where she was the office manager and didn't know it. We never talked again. We never well, that's just proof that we all circle in each other's lives over and over and over again. We call each other soul family. Oh, family. Yes. And Isabella likes to say we do it for one or two reasons, to help each other or test each other. Ooh. So having said that. So literally, again, I still think possibly maybe I should have gone the counselor route. I've lost my mind. <laughs> but Carl and I had met when we were three. That's crazy. We meet again for 35 years, 16, 17 years working together. We're meditating. And I remember meeting her 50 years before. I, I, knock me over with a feather. I, I, like, that's so crazy. Mm -hmm. And so we think meditation has some real benefits as we're doing this. And this has really got, <laughs> and Carla's writing every single thing that happens down. She's writing all this stuff down, asking questions. And I came in a day and I said, I was meditating last night. Carla, you're not going to believe this, but I had a memory. I said, I remember standing in a dark alley and looking across the alley in 1925 and seeing you standing there in the alley, dressed like a flapper, blonde hair, still the same big blue eyes. And as I'm looking across the alley, all these men are around me. And suddenly there's two big flashes of light. I hear a bang and I realize I'm shot. Oh and I fall back. And things are starting to get dark. And I realize I'm dying from being shot in this alley. She goes, okay. And I'm like, <laughs> what do you say, right? Like, and so the next day, I'm trying to meditate some more. And I'm in the office and I'm like, oh my God, this is so weird. I said, Carla, I found more of the memory before I was shot. I said, I'm in a little car and I just stopped in front of Ashland Auditorium Chicago. in Chicago, Illinois. And I said, it says Ashland Auditorium. I've never been to Ashland Auditorium. I don't know it exists. But I stopped in front. I ran up the steps into a makeshift church wedding that's been put on in Ashland Auditorium. And I'm going to the wedding of a man named Angelo, who I know from the bank that I work in. And as I'm seated at the groom's side, and as the wedding starts, the wedding singer comes out and starts to sing. And it's you, the woman who was standing in the alley. I know it's you. And you're standing up in front singing the Ave Maria. And I'm so fascinated by you that I have to meet you. And at the reception after the wedding, I search down to find you. And this is Carla. This yes. is Carla. 
multi-talented i can flap and sing yeah as i as i find her i try to meet her she tries to blow me off a few times she finally agrees that she'll meet me for breakfast tomorrow at marino's restaurant in little italy in chicago and on so the wedding was january 10th so on january 11th 1925 she meets me we have breakfast we go for a walk along the chicago coastline and she tells me her name is ruby donaldson that she works for the man named angelo that she moved to Chicago to be a dressmaker and a singer from Bullock, Georgia, where she was born, to James and Anna Donaldson. This is an incredible amount of detail. This is insane. Incredible. He can even tell you what we ate for breakfast that day. Yeah, because it was the most incredible detailed thing as I'm going. I keep telling her everything that I'm seeing, and she's jotting it down. And she's like, and Isabella has chimed in that I've been there through all of your life. What role did Isabella have? Isabella is my spirit guide. She speaks to me from the other world, the other side, the unseen realm. All day, every day. Yes. I'm connected to her constantly now. And the part of the story that's the best is I'm telling Carla this, and a few days later, she calls me on the day she's not working and tells me. I said to him, you're not crazy, Dave. I figured it wasn't that long ago I could find something. So I got onto Ancestry.com, and I found Ruby Donaldson, born in Bullock, Georgia, in 1904, to James and Anna Donaldson, one of 11 children. I, and I confirmed that through census. Then I got onto old newspapers from Chicago and found the wedding of Angelo Jenna to Lucille Spinola, January the 10th, 1925. So we had corroborating information. Shut the door. Yeah. Wow. And so she's telling me this on the phone, and I'm like, no. And Isabella said, well, Dave, you've had 42 past lives together. Carla has had 34, and you've had 29 together. So 29 lives together in all different types of capacities. I've been his mother. I've been his sister. I've been his neighbor, his schoolmate. We've had romantic a couple times. I mean, we a multitude, 29 times. Right. Wow. We continued to meditate and write everything down until we found all 42 of my lives and 34 of Carla's and the 29 we had together. And we started writing as many of the memories I could come up with any of those. The day that got probably the craziest is when I came in and was telling her more of the Ruby and JJ story. And I'm sitting in the office and I told her to sit down and I started to tell the story. And as I'm telling the story, my voice changes a little. And suddenly I'm talking like I'm actually J.J. Wright, the guy from 1925. Oh, my goodness. I'm talking to Carla. She starts to answer the questions the same way Ruby did, having the same experience at the same moment. That was very, very freaky. Very freaky. It's like I've got goosebumps right now. Yeah, it's like we didn't even have control of what we were doing. It's like something took over. So it was quite emotional. It was very real, and we were reliving Ruby and JJ now. And the problem with that is that we were both married to other people. Ruby and JJ were one hot, passionate couple. Oh, That's what ultimately led to his demise. Yeah. And we tell that complete story in The Gift of Past Lives from beginning to end because, you know, once we tell people about this part of the story, we figured they should know the rest of the story. So it's all in there. We had to literally cut out lots of details because Dave doesn't like this and we don't like to label him. But if you look in the dictionary, Dave is what you would call a mystic. You can actually jump right into a past life. I have recorded him. He was an eight-year-old little boy once and he stuttered. He stuttered through the whole recording. He can go right back to the life and live it where for me, it's hard. I have to be in meditation mode and flip back in. It's a gift for him. Right. This isn't even through like past life regression. I mean, no. We went for past life regression training. After we wrote the first two books. After we wrote the first two books so that we would connect with more people who had experiences like ours. Mm -hmm. Right. That's insane. So you guys see the the picture of this woman on my shelf here. That's Dolores Cannon. Right. Right. And I do Dolores's work. And I know that it takes some doing to get down to that state and go back to a past life. But to do this spontaneously, that is really remarkable. Yeah. It's been a great, interesting experience. And of course, because of it, we've done as much research as the doctor in me wants to know, how does any of this work? And so some of it is certainly past life regression or any kind of a hypnosis. If you study it, 
There is increased alpha and theta waves in the brain that occur while you're having hypnosis. Those increased alpha and theta waves are always associated with memory. It also occurs at the same time when people are under meditation, because meditation is really almost a form of self-hypnosis. Right. Yeah, that's the alpha state of consciousness. And the same thing occurs right between the time between wake and sleep. Right, the theta state. Many people have dream memories because their memory things are kicking in, but they also can sometimes see past life experiences, and they're hard to differentiate between dreams sometimes. Right, right. And so they all have alpha and theta waves. It's also interesting, the subconscious actually records everything using something called modular theory, where it takes chunks of your brain, and you can actually take MRIs and see which parts of the brain are activated. But it links little spots in your brain in such a way that it records each and every experience as something that's positive and something that's negative. Mm. It's really interesting when you start to talk about karmic realities of past lives and lessons, whether you think karma is a form of punishment, because I really don't. <laughs> it's a form of education. You're right. It's balancing, right? It's balancing. You know, so if you've never lived the other side, you won't understand the other side. And it's about compassion. Right. And so when you start to realize that the subconscious is saving these, if it saves them life to life, that's how they come with you to this life. And they're there and you can access them. Now, for some people, they're closed. But if you do the research, really about 80% of the population can be relatively easily hypnotized. Some people not as deep as others. You know that if you've done some regression, there's some people that just don't get the same thing. You know that you can be kind of patient with people. Because some people go on a way different scale. Some people are deep and they're very good at visualizing and they can speak and talk and do great things in 10 minutes. Right. People are, it's an hour before they're even deep enough to do anything, you know. Everybody's so, so different. Every experience is so different. Yes. And the part that's interesting about this is like in this life, if you touch something that's hot, it burns you. The next mm-hmm. time you touch something hot, you actually pull back faster. So those things saved in your subconscious still have a positive value in this life. JJ's going to try to avoid a dark alley and being shot, okay? Because you know that that past experience wasn't positive, didn't have anything positive attached. But some of us, you know, didn't learn. We were slow learners, apparently, because Angelo Jenna, who was Ruby's boss in that life, was my first husband in this life. (laughs) But luckily, I broke the cycle. He was very abusive. Uh, I don't want to say completely physically, but mentally, he was abusive. And we were able to part. If I saw him now in the grocery store, I would be friendly to him. So I was able to break that cycle. And it's our past lives are interesting. They're fun. It was fun learning about all of them. But Isabella told us early on that it's not just about the experience and finding out who you were, if you were anything important, this or that. We have to live those five simple rules. That means you have to live a life without conceit, jealousy, selfishness, and unforgiveness. Do everything out of love and compassion. And if you do that, then you'll graduate. You'll get off that karmic wheel. You will not reincarnate again because you won't have to. You'll have learned everything. So we like to think of karma as one more chance, like any loving parent would give you one more chance to try and get it right. You just don't say, well, you didn't do it right, son. Go to hell. It doesn't go that way. There's no such thing as hell. If somebody thinks there is, they've learned about it and they're fabricating it in their mind. There's no hell. A loving God would not do that. Right, right. No, I absolutely believe that and know that our God is a loving God. Yes. How did this whole experience challenge your faith, your religious faith? Did you know that Radiate Wellness is more than just a podcast? That's right. We're also a comprehensive holistic wellness practice. Find out about our services, practitioners, and upcoming events at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. While you're there, visit our podcast page to read more about our great guests and even donate to the podcast. If you like our podcast, you can help in other ways as well, like subscribe or follow us wherever you're listening right now. Tell a friend, a family member, or a co-worker about the great content you find here. And if you wouldn't mind, 
please give us a thumbs up, a five-star rating, or a positive review. Sounds like a small thing, but it really helps. You might like to know about our Facebook communities while we're at it. We have a free community, the Radiate Wellness Community, on Facebook for news and great free content. Our subscribers group is Radiate You, as in the letter U, but also, well, you. There you'll find curated replays of past classes, guest interviews, and more. And now, back to our podcast and back to our guest. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. So significantly, I'll have to say, again, through this experience, and the first book is called Mother Isabella, God, and Elizabeth, and it's because of, those were four beings that we did speak to at one time. In that order. I first talked to Carla's mother, then talked to my spirit guide, then That's God right. appeared, and then Carla's spirit guide came down a little later, called Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. So we've connected to all four of those at some time during the lessons. And we do want to say that we are not special. God <laughs> and Jesus talk to a lot of people. Right. Us, so we're not special. Sometimes people don't realize it. God's not past, and I'm not talking to you now that it's the New Testament time. That's not the case. God is always available for you, and people need to know that. And this part challenges many people with a Christian faith. We've connected with Jesus before. We've asked questions. Nobody else's death takes care of your responsibility. And I hate to say that because that... Make that more black and white. We are responsible for our own doing. And our own actions. And that's one of these other lessons of reincarnation. Jesus can't take your guilt away. Which is a pretty significant Christian Mm -hmm. theology point. Yeah, Right. That is a major challenge to a lot of people in the world. Correct. Well, that happens when we don't want to take responsibility for what we're doing. That falls under conceit. Mm. And it's easier to just say, we've all been saints and sinners. All of us have been saints and sinners. So instead of beating yourself up and not admitting it, just admit it and say, I'll do better. I'll become my best self. And it's never too late. Even if you've been a drug abuser, a wife beater, a murderer, it's never too late. You always have the opportunity to ding, 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 see the light, literally, and move on. And this is something hard to say because we've had some podcasts ask us things like, well, don't you think Hitler should be punished forever? And I say, you know, the truth is we all have a little bit of Hitler in us. Mm -hmm. We've all been like a Hitler. We've all done that. And because I've seen 42 past lives and Carla's seen 34. And I murdered him in our third life together. My goodness, yeah. I poisoned him. And so if you look at those things, we started to look for even patterns. And you realize, like Carla said, we've all been saints and sinners. I poisoned and I had a later life where I was poisoned. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. And we found that we've been slaves and slave owners. Mm-hmm. We've been Christian, Muslim, Jewish, pagan, pagan in many lives. Because if you don't know the other side, mm-hmm. you can't understand the other side. We actually have a series of lives where we're Viking landing on Scottish soil, pillaging. Then we are Scottish in the next life, fighting the English. Then we're English fighting the Scottish and in the next life. Carla's a Viking descent coming back into the English world because literally we were fighting sometimes on the opposite side of the same war. So when you think you're right, go <laughs> on the other side, and, the other side and say, hey, what do you think now? Because both sides think they're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until you know that you're not always right, that you're on the opposite side, that compassion matters. We've also been rich, poor, black, white. Some people have been men or women. We've been the same, but We've regressed people. Just the other day, I did one of my girlfriends. We took her back 600 years, and she was a man. She was a captain, and an English captain, getting going to war over something. So, you know, if there's a lesson for you to learn there, perhaps you're a woman and you're not treating a man right, you may come back 
as a man and vice versa. My father in this life was a non-existent father. He had six girls, the oldest one died, six girls. And it was always, he would say to my mother, keep them quiet. I'm trying to watch TV or something like that. Well, in this life, he was just reborn a couple of years ago and he's a girl. Oh, wow. I like that because he he will see how much a girl needs her daddy. Absolutely. And some of the other most interesting patterns we found in people and in lessons from Isabella, if not in an actual experience, she'll say, it's not surprising that a man who's an alcoholic will have a son who becomes an alcoholic and that man will return to him as his son again. Oh, wow. Because someone has to learn and stop and not break the pattern. And break the pattern because it's actually selfish and a little bit conceited to just take the easy path and not try to beat the system, not try to stop the pattern. If you don't stop the pattern, if you don't decide I'm not going to be, I'm the one who's not going to be the alcoholic, your son's going to experience what it's like to have an alcoholic father. Right. And it's important to remember that, I mean, we all do things. We dislike saying good or bad. We like to say positive or negative. Right. We've all done negative things. But Isabella says over and over again, it's about the intention. It's about the intention. So even if you do something and you know you shouldn't have done it and you apologize and your intentions are good, that will take you a far way. So, yeah, I can see how intention is the main thing. And that's really because we can do something negative, but if we're learning something from it and if we get something positive out of it, then it's the intention that creates that. Fascinating. So kind of back to the question of how this might challenge some people's religious beliefs. Does reincarnation occur in the Bible or is it talked about it actually, there are many quotes in the Bible. And many that were removed. Yeah. It's interesting if you actually start to talk about religious history, because we've done some research into that too. The first thing is certainly the early Christian movement. The first church, real serious church father is Origen of Alexander. And he wrote much of the early church doctrine. And included in his is that the soul exists prior to this life, during this life, after this life, and the transmigration of the soul is possible. It's also an early tenet of the Jewish religion, which would make sense. It's part of Kabbalah as an extension. For the Jewish people, it really comes through as you have to finish all 613 of these laws that they say are in the Old Testament. And if you don't finish them, that soul isn't complete. And so as a Kabbalah theory, they say you would have to continue to come back until you've at least completed all 613 of the mitzvahs. That's a Jewish thought. Origen says transmigration occurs, that everyone's soul existed before they came here, which is a little bit not really church doctrine. It's like the soul doesn't exist until Jesus or until God breathes it into you. But that's not true. Your soul has been here before. And the church, the early church excommunicated him long after his death and removed all of his works, burned them all. Oh, my goodness. And the other part of this oh, that's... Why? Well, because at that time, Justinian was coming in. If you have multiple chances to return to heaven, mm -hmm. what control does the government and the church, since Roman Catholic became the official church of the state and the state was the official government and all of this, if you can't have one control point, if you get more than one chance, then we can't control you. We can't say you have to be saved and you have to be saved through us. And you can only be saved through us through a priest who happens to be a direct descendant of Peter, who happens to be one of Jesus' disciples as Jesus died for you. It's if you can't follow that, you can't be controlled. Right. And then in the Council of Nicaea, the extension of this becomes even greater because the early church first had a doctrine that says Jesus was a prophet. Then it slowly adds, Jesus is a prophet who's probably a man who was raised to the level of God. And then it says, no, 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 we've got to change that. It doesn't quite work well enough. So Jesus is actually a lesser God than God. No, no, that doesn't work because we believe there's only one God. So Jesus has to be God. Oh, but he can't be God. So he's part of God. He's one of three people in God because we talk about the Holy Spirit who's something else. And so suddenly we have this Trinity doctrine. And in 325 AD, Irenaeus was in support of the other side, that Jesus was a lesser being than God. And the other popes, the other cardinals all said, 
no, no, Jesus has to be equal and coexistent with God or it doesn't work. And so they took a vote and they decided. And the vote was significantly in favor of Jesus was part of a trinity. It was like 600 and something to eight, I think. There were three main people who were completely against it, and they got excommunicated from the church. But the Unitarian doctrine is still one that followed through for a long period of time. And actually, if you ask in polls, 20% of Christians still believe in reincarnation, which I don't know how that's possible and say you're Christian, but, you know, it's it's okay. They realize that there's probably some other possibility. But if you're really talking about divine justice and divine mercy, God would give you another chance like any parent. I believe so, too. I totally agree with this, Dave. So is reincarnation then really proof that God exists? I think so. I think it's the most realistic expectation that God exists. And it's kind of interesting because if there is not some first consciousness to plan this, how does this start? Yeah. And again, this was part of our meditation experiences. First, I saw a, what I would call a grid of lights, which was all of us, and that we're all an extension, a point of light that comes from God. Yeah. Without a source, where does this come from? Yes, yeah. where do we connect back to without a source? And that's really, and that's really what this journey is about. It is, we are portions of light of God that have been sent out. We live, we experience, and we bring this experience back once we've learned what love truly is. Mm -hmm. And we return as the love we were created. Wow. Fascinating stuff. This is crazy. And so all of this work that you've done together, you've turned into a series of books. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And so you've got what? three books so four we actually have four the fourth one's a little different story and we can explain okay. that if you want yeah please do the fourth book is called her Huba and his rose yeah and it is actually we are characters in this story it's during the lifetime we lived but we are not the main characters and it takes place during the second temple period so basically from 0 AD to about 70 AD, when right up until the point where the second temple is destroyed in Jerusalem, it is based on an itinerant preacher who has his life experience shared, and we witness part of it. Oh my God. So what is Huba? What is that? Oh, Huba means dare to my heart. In, Aram in, in Aramaic. In Aramaic, yeah. Oh, I see. Okay, so this is more of a narrative type of story. Yes, literally. Yeah, what I will say, our first book was this. We had this pile of information because by the time we got to Perhuba and his rose, Isabella said, and I don't like to use the word channeling, but she said, we have to write this story. And so we sat down at the computer and except for this little two-page introductory piece that we wrote afterwards. And the editing and the structure set composure because the beings in the spiritual world speak very properly and to write that book today the it, language it didn't, wouldn't flow. didn't flow quite as well but basically Isabella sat down and we wrote the book from the beginning to the end straight through our first book is about the experience that we just told you about mm -hmm. with 20 of our past lives and at the end of each of those stories we actually discuss what we did that fell into the category of the five simple rules. Why we came back. It was a conceit, jealousy, all of them. So that was the first book. The second book, because we had been raised Catholic and because reincarnation was new to us, we wanted to do a lot of the research that Dave's talking about. And then we included seven of our past life stories. Mm -hmm. And the third book, it's called the manual because it's exactly that. It's a manual of how God makes us and creates us with, there's a lot of twelves, our astrological sign, our traits, our archetypes. And we include six well-known people from history. And we do three consecutive lives for each. And those lives were dictated because, for instance, Cleopatra, we all know Cleopatra from history, but we don't know her previous life and her following life. But we wanted to show the pattern and why she was like she was and why she continued on. So that's the manual. So you were able to tap into Cleopatra's other lifetimes? Isabella yeah, did. Isabella did. Isabella did. Oh, yes. wow. Okay. And so it becomes really interesting because as a general theory, it starts to show that like you could be born like I'm a Pisces. Mm -hmm. We know as a Pisces now, because Isabella's told us, I've actually been given the angel 
of selfishness. Mm -hmm. Mario's Legion. Yeah, somebody from Mario's Legion. The and, yellow angel. And because everyone born in... Well, they're in four groups of three. So it's Aquarius, Pisces, and Aries fall under the angel of Mario's Legion, the yellow. In the manual, there's actually a color chart I breaking down your birth dates. There's also a color chart of the seven planes of heaven, oh. earth on up. So that helps you. You know what you're doing negatively, first of all, by your astrological sign, because your astrological sign is actually karma related. Oh, so if you were, again, like as a Pisces, I was selfish, not necessarily in this life, because that's the, my first thought. But Isabella says, no, you were selfish in another JJ. life. And JJ, back when it was Ruby and JJ, you didn't consider that the two of you were passionate, very determined to be together. How it affected everybody else How around it affected us. everybody else. And so in this life, you have an angel of selfishness to help remind you not to be selfish in this life. So it's a gift. Now, it's difficult to know your own trait and archetype because, you know, it's not tied like an astrological sign is. But we recommend when you read it, read it yourself with an open mind, evaluate yourself, then ask your friends or your spouses, which one do you think we are? Because it's all about self-evaluation. We break down all the astrological signs and give descriptions. And some of my girlfriends read them and said, I didn't want to finish that after I read it. And I said, why? If that's who you are, it's okay. You're supposed to overcome the things that are maybe not the most, you know, positive. Um, and so archetypes, like you could be an explorer archetype in this life. And it could be that you're an explorer because you need more experience, but you also might be given the care different archetype because you need to stay home, take care of your family because maybe you didn't take care of your family in a previous life. So the archetype is the only one you choose for yourself. Your astrological sign and your trait is actually chosen by God, your counsel, your spirit guide. And so you can be a Pisces lover, lover and a squirrel. Let's say. Now I know that sounds weird, but squirrel is a is a trait. The archetype or is the trait? A, a trait. So the archetypes are sort of some of the archetypes you've heard of before: Ex explorer, mystic, not uh, mystic, king or ruler, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, ruler. But so those are sort of at least have been enumerated by different authors in different ways. But these traits are very different. You can be a loon. A loon is someone who nests or flies away. So you may know somebody just like that in your life. They're they, real family oriented unless things get tough and then they may take flight. Oh, goodness. And if you're a squirrel, you may never sit still. You, you know people in your life that are always busy, going, busy, going busy, to this, busy, busy. doing this, doing this, doing that. So those are also parts of you. You might be an anteater. And I know that sounds strange, but the anteater is someone who does nothing but spend all day tracking his food, Focusing eating on one, one ant at a time, one thing. So those kind of things are described in there. And those things are chosen to mold you in such a way that when you come back in this life with the memories that you have, you will be tested because of those traits. God's definitely an intelligent designer because we couldn't come up with this. Right. It's quite complex. So you were learning all of these things, having these experiences, and working in the medical field at the same time. Mm -hmm. Correct. Wow. Did everybody <laughs> think that you were crazy? We don't share it with everybody. That way, certainly. So here's the first thing. In medicine, one of the things they teach you very early on is that you must be totally accepting of everyone's cultural, religious, and whatever background. So my cultural, religious background being into reincarnation does not mean that I'm going to try to sway them not to be Muslim. Right. Not to believe what I believe. No, we've been Muslim. Yeah. So, and so the reality is it taught me that we try to, we're always trying to be our best self. So an example is I had a Muslim patient who wanted to make the trip to Mecca and I worked as many details with him as possible. Mecca is, for those who don't know, it's an area in the Middle East, supposedly the most holy place for the Muslims. They are supposed to make one journey there in their entire life, at least 
try to pilgrimage there. It requires walking the course that Muhammad and Ishmael did and walking this big path. It's a miles path. So I had to look up some things, find out some things for him, and then realize that even if he couldn't complete all steps of the pilgrimage, that his Muslim faith allowed him to have accommodations to attempt to do his pilgrimage. Because he couldn't walk. So it was his intention. His intention that matters, again, even for him and his Muslim faith. And so the reality was, if I could get him special shoes for part of it, a wheelchair if it was necessary during part of it, so that he could still complete his journey, because the lessons he's learning in his life matter. Even if it's not what I believe, those lessons are things he's been set up that he needs to learn. Yeah. And And those lessons are available no matter what religion you are. And so I need to support him on every lesson that he thinks he needs to learn because his inside is, it's very weird to say this, there's some part of predetermination that exists mm-hmm. and some part of free will that exists. Right. Yeah. It's a fine line, isn't it? It is. And so if he's on this path, I'm going to support that path, which doesn't mean that I'm going to suddenly say, hey, you know, I had a past life memory last night because that's about me. It's not about my patient. Right, right. Yeah. But if I mean, did anybody know what you guys were doing outside of work hours? Yes, certain friends. My family completely abandoned me, except one sister. Oh, I see. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, you know, it was a lot of years ago now, and it's their path to not believe, but it's one of those things where they're not happy with themselves, so therefore they cannot be happy with me. Dave's sister has read all of our books. She doesn't agree with all of it, but she supports us. And that's how my friends are. Some of my friends believe, some of my friends have one in particular. She can meditate and go right into her past lives. Mm. It's amazing the gifts you have once you open yourself up. But if you never shut yourself down, turn everything off, quiet your mind, you don't allow the spiritual world to contact you and talk to you, even though you don't know necessarily if they're talking to you, they are, and they're getting through to you if you allow it. Right fascinating i could talk about this all day long and your work is just incredible i mean it's amazing that more people don't know about this and the the things that you're doing do you have any plans to take this to a an even broader audience well some of that we're doing now you know even on the podcast interestingly we did a symposium and then COVID hit. Yeah, you know, COVID um, kind of made things disappear. Yes. It's become really interesting for us because we have people in the near-death experience realm reaching out because there are so many things that are parallel. So I'll mention that real quick. Yeah. If you look at the research that they've done in Stevenson and Jim Tucker, University of Virginia, they've been researching kids with past life spontaneous mm-hmm. memories for years. They've got about a group of about 2,500 kids where they found out enough facts that they call them verified. And so these 2,500 kids, they've studied them and they've broken everything down they can and they write it all down. And about 20% of those kids have an intermission life memory of the time mm-hmm. between lives. Mm-hmm. I have some of those. So when I found those, I started looking at those. And then you start reading the near-death experience literature. And these are the things that people find. They find an overwhelming number of experiences include feeling love, warmth, and the experience of God. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very few experiences of hell or punishment of any kind. Right. And it's possible that those experiences are still past life memories. If you were burned as a stake as a witch, you might that could surface in a past life review. It yeah. could it could surface absolutely. So these people have this overwhelming sense of love. They have a sense that time doesn't exist the same way. That something changes. They have an experience of being helped or assisted in planning their next experience. Mm-hmm. They have a something mm-hmm. about beings of light. They have an experience of a past life review. And they have an experience that says some of them want to not come back and they tell them they don't have a choice. They have to come back. That was me. Yeah, I did a life between lives session and I did not want to come back. And they said I had to. Mm-hmm. Correct. Why would we want to? <laughs> and, so, yeah. and so again, Isabella's tried to help with that. If your natural state 
is being in contact with God, source, Tao, creator, your name for that entity. If your normal state is your soul, consciousness, whatever you want to call that entity, is in contact with God, and we're here, we're separated from what's normal. Because this life is much shorter than the lives, the time on the other, on the other side, in the other realm. So we're all aliens to where we're at. We don't feel normal here. This is a, we're tied to perceptions that are related only to our senses. We're in a, we're in a closed box where we can't get out. And if we allow those chains that bind us, being a human, that come in the forms of conceit, selfishness, jealousy, and unforgiveness, if we allow those to hold us down and ruin our life, if you have a disease, don't take it as, why did God do this to me? It's just a lesson. It's temporary. We're eternal beings. But if you want to be free and liberated, follow those five simple rules. You'll get off the wheel. And sooner or later, you'll return home to God's source, Tao Creator. With everybody else, and we'll all be one big happy, lovey-dovey family. And in the book, the manual, what happens? Because someday we will all go home. And when that happens, all levels in heaven, because we told you there's seven levels, collapse to one in contact with God, the Creator. So that's the goal, the ultimate goal. goal. That is the goal. Wow. And the website is thegiftofpastlives.com. On this website, you see all of the books. Mm -hmm. Are there other books coming up? We are working on a couple. We have a meditation book that's done, but we need to, we're fine tuning it. It's kind of a daily. And then we're working on another one that's from the beginning. Yeah. So we have enough we got puppies in between there kind of like halted our life yeah (laughs) but if we know 42 past lives and most people know the history pretty well from jesus's life on because history exists better documented documented better so we have a book that we're working on called the first four thousand years (laughs) cool That sounds fascinating. Well, Dave and Carla, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been fascinating and just like goosebumpy and thrilling and all of those things. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot, Christy. Radiate Wellness is an international community of holistic and alternative healers dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.